with me in the studio today is none other than a friend um, and I, I could say actually colleague um, when it comes to ministry as we as we term it here in the church um, Bernie Anderson hello and thank you so much Sam this is really good to be with you man you're very welcome welcome to Adventist Radio London Bernie um, you are broadcasting over the airways of London all the way from where uh, I'm in Florida. I'm in near Orlando, Florida, man. This is really, this is really awesome. <laughs> okay, I'm a bit jealous because I think nine times out of ten the sunshine is out where you are. And is it one of those nine times out of ten for you? You, you are absolutely correct. Um, the sun is shining. It's a beautiful day here in Orlando. Although the the really really warm weather is, is about to hit us, so it's really? going to be uncomfortably warm. <laughs> I see. Well, us Brits want to be uncomfortably warm because it's always uncomfortably wet and cold here. So yes, exactly. <laughs> so allow us I to have you. that jealousy just a little bit. I know. <laughs> Um, I just want to thank you for joining us because we have recognised you have a remarkable story that you want to share yeah, with us, and I just want to thank you from the onset of of being open in order to do that. Absolutely. Now, now as we as we dive into your story, um, you have a book that you've written, and you'll later on talk a little bit about that book. But for mm-hmm. now, take me back, if you would, Bernie, to uh, to the point at which I'm going to call it the struggle. Um, mm. Was something that you didn't identify was a problem. Yeah. So, the, yeah, the struggle was really the the secret, and it was a secret that I that I held um, because I really didn't want I didn't want anyone to think poorly of me. I didn't want anyone to think badly of me. And that's probably a um, as a as a pastor, that's probably something that we struggle with. We want people to always think well of us, and so knowing that I had a problem, knowing that I was, or having a sense that I don't know that I fully knew what was going on, I knew that I had a, that I was doing something that I couldn't stop, that there was a power that pornography had over me that I didn't know how to control and I didn't know how to stop. And it was to a point where I was living this double life. Mm. And so that was the secret. That was what, that's what I was hiding. And that's what I had to, I had to pretend that everything was okay especially on Sabbath mornings when I was getting up and, and leading churches and leading people spiritually. And so it was, it was just a big lie in many ways. Mm. And internally, it was, it was just destroying me. It mm. was just destroying um, any sense of integrity or wholeness that I had or peace that I had in my life. And uh, it was not a very happy time. It was a very dark time. Mm. And that, that ultimately you know, it, it feeds over into my relationships with, with others. And so my marriage was in trouble and, and my relationships with, with other people were, um, th- there were issues there and it was just, it just wasn't a very pleasant thing, hmm. um, that I was, that I was struggling with. Um, and it was all just a big secret I didn't want anyone to know, hmm. but I felt an enormous sense of pressure and I was, there was a bit of paranoia because I thought someone might find out. Mm. Um, just a very dark time. Mm. Yeah. This is something that followed you from teenage years? It did. I was exposed to porn at the age of nine and um, wasn't sure. I, I, didn't, I wasn't sure what it was. I didn't go looking for it. I stumbled across it at a relative's house and the, the seed was planted there, I guess you would say. Mm. You know, my, my curiosity... Um, was peaked 
and I, I, I remember making sort of a mental note, uh, even as a nine-year-old, that said, wow, that's really interesting. I think I'd like to see that again. Nine. And, uh, yeah, nine years old. Goodness me. And, and eventually I would, there would be another accidental exposure. I, did, I didn't mm. have to go looking for it. And, and from that point forward, it just seems like it's kind of the way it happens for us Mm. Young men and, and boys, as we're growing up, we just have these encounters with pornography, and that was true for me too. Mm. And um, yeah, and eventually you get to an age where you don't have to um, stumble across it; you actually just kind of pursue it, and you want to go find that because it's so, you know, it's so enticing. When did it hit? This is a problem. Yeah, of course that would be that would be years later. I. Uh, Years later, in the sense of that, you know, the problem had escalated. Now, all through my adolescent and, you know, teen and college years, it was it was an issue, but it was just a side issue. It was uh, wasn't anything that I would say I was necessarily addicted to. You know, it was a, it was a struggle, if you would, and I would pray about it, and it created so a, a real sense of of incongruity, I guess you would say. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't feel like I knew I shouldn't be doing it as a you know, especially as a theology major and someone who was planning to be a pastor um, through those years. But you know, I would pray, and and then I I wouldn't really have the problem for a while, and I'd be involved in ministry and be do and I'd be doing things, and it would it would be fine. Mm. But once I, you know, was into pastoral ministry as a hired full-time uh, pastor who would eventually be ordained, and I began to realize that if I was alone and there was an internet connection, I could not keep myself from going to look at pornography. Mm. Um, I, if if I went to my church office and, you know, there was no one else there. Um, I had a laptop that I kept with me all the time. I just could not, and I would have to, even if I had determined before I, you know, left to go to my office. You know, when I get to the office, I'm going to focus on what I need to focus on, work on my message for the week. I'm not going to go there, you know. Eventually, I would, hmm. and it was just I could not resist, and I, I couldn't keep myself from going that direction. And I knew that things were off. And, and eventually, you know, uh, especially when someone you care about finds out about it, again, it's a big secret, but eventually it seems our secrets sort of seep out. And that was the case with me and my wife discovered it. So everything just started to really come apart. You know, my, my little secretive world mm. began to really splinter and I had a, a real major problem on my hands. Now we get onto something that I'm still trying to get my head around in your story, really. <laughs> My wife got on the computer after I had been on the computer, and she, you know, I didn't clear the history, and, and she Ooh. clicked on the drop-down menu, and she saw the, the websites that, that I had been visiting and followed the link to one, and she was just blown away um, by what she found. And so that began the, uh, yeah, someone else knowing that that's, the lie was, was finally coming to light because my wife stumbled across uh, websites that I had been on before. So tell me, yeah. how does that conversation go with your wife? Yeah, well, for my wife, she she took a day or so, I think. She just had to process it a bit before she confronted me. And um, that's, that's what happened uh, a day or so later. 
as we're getting into bed, you know, and, and going to turn in for the night. The kids are down and it's all quiet. And she she says to me in a way that if you're married, you understand um, we need to talk, <laughs> you know, so it's, I'm it's not, I'm not, I'm not she, married, but I'm scared by those words. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> those, those are, those are words that strike fear into the heart of every man when your spouse <laughs> says we need to talk. And so sure enough, she confronted me with what she had found on the computer. And as she broke into to tears, she, she just said, is this you? Is, is this, what have you been doing? And what is this all about? And I had nowhere to go. You know, addicts will lie. We will lie through our teeth. Um, there was nowhere I could run or hide. I could not claim that some stranger had broken into our house and gotten on our computer and looked at porn. <laughs> I just couldn't do it, you know. <laughs> there was, and my children were too, they were too young. That I, you know, they crawled up on the computer and, and tapped in websites. I could not. How old were your children at the time? I think my oldest may have been six years old. Right. Um, so could she have conceivably, but no, we were very, you know, we were very protective of her ever getting near the computer or anything like that. So there was no chances. So yeah, I, there, and I, I started to, to cry. I was, I was found out, I was caught and I, I just had to confess. And I told her that this is the thing that has hounded my soul for years and I was sorry, and I was sorry in that moment. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't sorry enough to, to really make any significant changes. And so this would really initiate a very, very dark and very difficult uh, time for us. Um, so what happens yeah. next um, after the conversation? Yeah, so there's a, there's a time that my wife just demonstrates incredible grace towards me. And, and she was patient and loving and gracious, but I was not ready to really make significant change. I was not ready to go down the path of recovery. And so she would continue to find me. And it, it was like my whole scheme, if you will, my whole, in my entire life wait, 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 came hold, unraveled. Hold on, Bernie. She, she caught you again? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, trust me for multiple times after this. And it it was like, try as, as hard as I could try, I couldn't seem to like keep it hidden anymore. I just, Mm. I I couldn't. And so, you you know, Bernie, there's uh, a part of me, there's a part of me listening to you tell this story thinking, excuse me for saying you idiot. Okay. Exactly. All right. No, you're absolutely right. But then there's another part of me because, you know, this is something that all guys struggle with on huge levels and, and different levels. And, and I've struggled with, with it myself. Um, mm-hmm. But when, when addiction takes hold of you, um, yes. I think it's important to say that all rational thinking just gets thrown yep. out the window. You're right. Absolutely. It's, it's very, yeah, you're not thinking clearly. It's not, um, it's a very foolish thing. Um, I, had a, I had a theology professor tell me one time that sin is, is insanity. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And, and the things that we do, they're just beyond any sort of sense. So that's where I was. I constantly got caught to a point that my wife was just at her wit's end. And she, where there was once grace and patience and care and concern, I think there was still a little bit of care and concern, but she was also now more concerned about, okay, what does the future look like for me? 
And I think there's a point at which a woman goes into a, a mode of, okay, this guy is not going, going to come through for me anymore. I have to begin to think about what does life look like without him? And, and that means taking care of my children, protecting them, watching over them. So I think she went into full on, um, I am a, a mother first and foremost, and I have to begin to think about how do I take care of a life and a future without this pastor husband of mine. So in the midst of her deep sense of being betrayed and the, the feelings that come with that, it's just utterly, it, it's just, it just breaks a woman to her core is what it does. It just, it's just ripping her heart out. She's also having to now think about, all right, what do I do now? And uh, at the time she didn't work. She was at home full-time mom, you know, so she wasn't, she wasn't sure, but she knew she had to begin to think about that. And so she had planned to actually, um, she had always taken a trip to be with her parents during the summer. And so she was, that trip was coming up and she was going to take it, but she planned in her mind that she wouldn't come back um, because she, she wasn't seeing any real change with me. She would catch me and, you know, and then I would sort of apologize and say I wouldn't do it again, but sure enough, she'd get on my computer or whatever and find it again. And so she had planned not to come back. And that's where we were. We were just kind of in this place where there wasn't a lot of, uh, there wasn't a lot of certainty about the future of the marriage and um, it was a very, very difficult spot. And, and I, I hadn't snapped out of it. I was, I was a mess. I was, I hadn't made any promises to get better. I hadn't made any promises to go see a counselor. I hadn't, you know, I, I just, I just sort of said, I'm dealing with it and everything's going to be okay. You know, dude, this is, um, this is the love of your life. This is the woman that you married, the, the mother of your children. And, the first yeah. time she drops the line in whatever way she puts it, that you know that this is a game changer yeah. for marriage. This must have sent thunderbolts down you. Um, was was that the first point upon which you were like, I need to get help, or is it, does it come later? It comes a little later, actually. I mean, she screamed through her tears. I'll never forget this. She said, she said, "Do you want to lose this?" Um, she just screamed that at me as she was crying. Do you want to lose this? And that wasn't even enough. And I knew what this was. I knew what she was referring to. A family, a ministry, a marriage. A, this was 10 years now. This is, a, this is a decade into being married. This wasn't two or three years into being married. This was you know, 10 years and, and two kids in. And um, I still, I mean, I think I had a sense of I'm about to lose something here. But the addiction had taken such a deep root and was so wrapped around my, my heart and my soul that it didn't shake me enough. I don't think it really hit me until she was gone and on the trip and, and I was sitting alone in an empty house struggling with whether or not to look at pornography and then giving in to looking at pornography, binging on pornography, and then... And then having that deep sense of regret and, and feelings of, of remorse after that. And then looking around the house and going, oh my goodness, what, what on earth am I doing? And I, I really kind of came to my senses. And I was, I was just utterly appalled at where I had gotten to hmm. and the depths that I had fallen and what I was willing 
this is where brokenness comes in. I was just broken. You know, I was a mess. And I, I knew in that moment I had to call someone and I had to, I had to find someone to, to just confide in and to talk to and to get this out. And I did. I, I worked up enough courage to call a pastor friend. Mm. And he came over and I spoke with him and I told him the entire story and I told him where I was and I told him, I just need help. I, I'm a mess. I don't know what I'm doing and I'm about to lose everything. Mm. And he was such a, a faithful and grace-oriented friend in those moments and has been since and was before that. And that began the journey of mm. really stepping out into uh, significant change and accountability and regaining, recovering my marriage, which is, I mean, that's a whole other subject, but that's the most challenging part of, mm. of any recovery process is trying to reclaim and re, re, reestablish um, those, those relationships, especially with your spouse that mm. were so damaged by, by my foolishness. And so that's where I was, man. Wow. It's always more than the porn. It's not just the porn. The porn is a, it's just a, sort of this outward thing that, that represents some deeper issues going on in the soul. Mm. And he could even see that there's more going on with this guy than just um, the fact that he's looking at pornography all the time. So he had a, he had a great sense of just uh, being very patient with me and very gracious. And, and there was a new taste, if you will, in my mouth. There's a new sense of hope and purpose and something about the future that was going to be different that was emerging in my soul at the time. And um, I was almost giddy with excitement mm. to the extent that my wife, when we would talk on the phone after this meeting, post-meeting with this pastor, she heard something different in my, even in my voice and the way that I is like, you know, I once was blind, but now I see. I, she could tell that something was different about this guy. There had been a transformation that had taken place. She actually decided that she would come home after some of the conversations that she had with me on the phone. Wow. And she would tell you that, indeed, something had happened to her, her husband. And, um, yeah, that, that would start the journey of going to groups and, and being a part of... Uh, of, of recovery and therapy and all kinds of stuff. So. And once I'd started a process of recovery, I began to share with other people. The story was also getting public media attention. So here I am, a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, uh, being very public in the media with a story of being addicted to pornography. So I'm the guy that was terrified of anybody finding out and <laughs> wouldn't tell anyone. And here I am now, I can't. You know, I can't keep quiet about it. Wow. And what do you think was the most transformative group that you got involved in that really helped you? Mm, great question. So I, on my own and, and paid for it myself, I went to a gathering called Every Man's Battle. Mm -hmm. And it was over a three, I think maybe four day um, span, sort of an intensive retreat. Uh, with a bunch of other guys who had the same struggle. And that that solidified my path towards recovery. Mm. Once you move away from that period where you've confessed and you've put it out there and you're you're seeking recovery and there's all the all the euphoria of, of getting free and you let that wear off over a few months and you you know and it, the newness wears off and you're like, oh man, this now is now it's the hard part. Now I'm out here all alone still trying to 
you know, and, and the old, the old uh, temptations come back and the, all those things begin to happen. But because of every man's battle, I, um, I think I made it through those rough waters a little bit easier. It wasn't, it wasn't easy by any stretch of the imagination, but because I had been so, um, I'd been just empowered and I'd learned so much and I had, I had grown so much through that, um, mm-hmm. that workshop that, that it made, it made those, those days, the difficult days that would come, mm. it made them a lot better. You engaging in things like this, I guess, was quite a powerful statement to your wife. Yes. And how did she yes. respond? Yeah, the, the main thing you're trying to do, um, and I don't think I realized it at the time, I was just doing what I had been taught, is that you're trying to regain trust. And, and trust is is earned back. And I don't. Again, I I think you know every man's battle had had guided me and encouraged me. Confess to your wife. Talk and apologize, sincerely and legitimately and vulnerably in a v- very vulnerable way. Apologize and express your sorrow to your wife. And I don't think I'd ever done that before. So I did that. And and then in terms of how I interacted on the internet uh, or on my laptop or on the computer, I was just very open. Never had it in a room, you know, stopped taking it to the church office. My screen was always visible. The, the, and I never I have made to say, I have to say this is a massive, <laughs> massive step because I, yeah. I've, I share your job in the respect that I'm, I have been a local church pastor. And That's right. we yeah. need our screens in order to function as a minister because there's yes. so much to accomplish. And so you took a huge step in order to say, I am not going to do this alone. Oh, absolutely. There was so much at stake um, at this point that I didn't want to take any chances. I didn't want to cause any more pain. One of the ways that you know that an addict is, is serious about recovery and that they, um, they want to be well is that they begin to recognize how much their acting out causes pain on other people. Wow. Because at, at the core of it, addiction is very selfish. And acting out is very selfish. It's just self-centeredness is all it is. Mm. And so you know people are getting better when they, when they begin to say, I have to think about other people. Mm. And I have to think about those people that are closest to me. And I don't want to cause them pain. I don't want them to suffer. I don't want them to be hurt by my actions. Mm. And so that's, that's, and that's where I was. And I was very serious about not only protecting them and not wanting to cause my wife pain or my kids pain or embarrassment. I just wanted them to have the same peace that I was experiencing because that, that was the greatest gift that God gave me in the, once you, once you head into, into recovery, God gives you this enormous sense of peace. There's no more hiding. There's no more struggle. There's no more, it's just peace. Mm. And I wanted them to have the same thing because they're in recovery with me. My wife was in recovery with me. The last thing I wanted her to experience was this uncertainty about the future. Is this guy, you know, is he real? Is he serious? Or is this all just a lie? Because the first 10 years of our marriage was a lie. So, is it true, once an addict, always an addict? Wow, that's a great question. I, there, there may be people who would debate this with me, and that's fine, they can I tend to think not, and that that was actually one of the questions I asked uh, at the Every Man's Battle gathering. I said, "What do I call my? Do I refer to myself as an addict in the present tense, 
or is it appropriate to you know say I was an addict and and um, I don't even recall the answer they gave me, but I come up with my own answer and and I believe that God has the power to to recreate and to make new and to and when there's a transformation, you are no longer what you used to be. And so I don't look at it that way um, as once an addict, always an addict. I, I think it, it is some, we move on to a new identity, and and I am um, leaving that in the past. Hmm. So now, do I have a tendency? Do I have the potential for relapse and to regain the old identity? Hmm. For sure. There's no question about that. Um, but right now, um, as I am a person who's who's moving in a direction and that's the other thing i always tell people it's, it's all about direction and not perfection and i really believe that as long as i am moving in the direction of being well and pursuing um that which god has for me that is so much better than pornography then then i believe that that i am i'm a child of god and my primary identity is 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 in that and I w- I'm going to move in, in that direction. So, hmm. yeah. <laughs> wow. And I guess you and your wife are still on a journey of, of continuing recovery. But I understand it's, it's much more of a blessed journey right now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The, the journey is so much different. It's a journey, a continued journey of recovery. And it's been 13 years now for us. Hmm. And my wife refers to our marriage as the first marriage and the second marriage. <laughs> wow. And she prefers she prefers the second marriage over the first. Of course, of course. <laughs> mm. So because the journey of of becoming close and as scripture puts puts it, one flesh is a constant journey. So I don't care if you've been married two years or or fifty years. The, the work you put into becoming one and finding intimacy doesn't just happen because you've been together. It doesn't happen because you live in the same house. It happens because you've been intentional about knowing, being with, becoming a part of, being vulnerable with, trusting in your spouse and being with them. And if you're not intentional about that, then you can live in the same house for a very long time. Mm. And, and live with a stranger. Since we've come through the pornography story and we understand how important it is that, that, we, that there's an intimacy beyond physical intimacy, beyond sex, and, and that we have to be intentional in pursuing that, that's been the big part of the journey the, the last 13 years. Let's take our relationship to the next level of knowing one another and trusting and that's hard work, man. Mm-hmm. That you you don't just again you don't just live in the same house and go through your daily routine and arrive at that. Mm-hmm. You have to be intentional about your time um, and what you're, how you're relating to, and how you're getting away, how you deal with conflict with your spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, all those things are just critical to whether or not you arrive at a higher level of intimacy and connection, which, which keeps you from looking for places where there's false intimacy. Mm. Um, where you're getting legitimate connection and intimacy and there's high levels of trust, 
and vulnerability, you are basically defending yourself against pornography and all these other things. It's your greatest defense mechanism. Mm. Find legitimate connection, meaning, purpose, intimacy, and relationship, primarily with your spouse and then others because there are friends and and people that you have to invest in as well. Mm. And if you're if you have that, oh my goodness, mm. then then you you will you laugh at the attempts by the enemy to mm. entice you to pornography or other foolishness. Mm. It's, it's laughable because you just look at this and you go, really? You know, it totally diminishes your um, your desire and your you know any sort of enticement that 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 would have. Mm. You see it for what it really is, the lie that it really is. Mm. Um, so the the highest investment of time, if you want to get well, you want to be better, has to be in the relationships around you. And let me let me not over let me not pass by this in that primary relationship is with the Lord Jesus Christ mm. and then secondarily the the horizontal relationship with your spouse first and foremost and if you're married and then secondarily friends and, and acquaintances mm. after that but somebody is listening to our conversation Bernie and they're saying mm. Bernie I'm really struggling with pornography and mm. what are the first things I need to to do no <laughs> Wow. Yeah. It's always fun to answer this question, but it's all also kind of like, I don't want to come across as cliche or cheesy, Sure. but I, it really is to, to pray earnestly to God mm. for the courage to take the steps that what I found is most people already know what they need to do because the Holy Spirit's been working on them already. They just haven't been pushed across the line to, to do it or over the cliff may be a better way to put it and to do it mm. and um, pray for that courage, pray for that interruption. Maybe God just sort of interrupts your life. So you're forced to like I was, mm. maybe somebody finds out if it's a secret for you or maybe it's not a secret and you're just, you're just living in this sin and rebellion and refusing to listen to God or to listen to a spouse or to listen to a friend who's telling you your life is out of control and you need to get help. Mm. And I would just, you know, pray to God and seek God out mm. so that he can, so that you will have the courage to, to, to do what he's already told you to do. And here's the, the, the myth that most people believe is that somehow God does it for them without their involvement. Mm. And that's just totally foolish. Mm. No, you will be involved in the transformation of your life. You will, you will have to take steps. God will set you up and do everything within his power. But you will have to have the desire, be willing to move in the right direction. God will not force you down a path that you aren't willing to go mm. with your whole heart. So we work in cooperation with a God who is, the, is powerful, but we work in cooperation with him. We're not passive in our path towards transformation. And that's the myth that so many people believe. They think that they say one prayer, go to sleep, wake up the next day, and, oh, I'm well, I'm better. And that's just not the way it works. Bernie, I just want to thank you so much for being open and candid and sharing your story with us. It's, it's been an honor. Absolutely. Yeah, it really has. Now, just to close things off, um, tell us a bit more, because yeah. we know that you um, have written a book, and it has touched the lives of so many people out there. 
Yeah, so it's Breaking the Silence um, is the name of the book. Um, I think the subtitle is something along the lines of a pastor goes public about his private battle with pornography. Mm-hmm. And the first part of the book just shares the story. You know, you a lot of the stuff I've shared here is in that first part of the book. The second part of the book contains a story or contains a chapter by my wife. Mm. It talks about her journey through all of this. I always call it the best chapter in the book. <laughs> um, and then the rest of it is just, you know, some practical type of information about how to how to break free and how to stay free how to get well basically if you are interested in the book jump online and type in breaking the silence by bernie anderson um i've read it it's absolutely fabulous um i know a number of people who've been inspired by 